Jason Caldwell is an American athlete whose career has been defined by a string of silver medals. He's a restless soul looking for a win, and when he discovers a near-impossible, unassisted, 3,000-mile rowing race, he believes his stars have aligned. With a crack team of elite rowers, Jason's ambition is not just winning the race, but smashing the world record for the fastest crossing. Except he's got the wrong team and underestimates the ocean to his peril. Battered, humbled, and 30 pounds lighter, Jason limps to the finish line, but the very next day starts planning another attempt. This time, he's determined to find the perfect team, selfless guys who will fight for each other. Just one year later, he's back. But when seasickness and adverse weather threatens his dream, once again, Jason is faced with a seemingly impossible task again, to cover the final 400 miles in just five days to get the record. That is the description of the award-winning documentary, Chasing, which I've watched four times in the last month. Whether it's my wife, my kids, 80 ice hockey players in Canada, or myself, me and the other viewers don't just enjoy it. We're left pondering multiple aspects of the story. Except lucky for me, I got to interview Jason Caldwell himself and go deeper into the story and learn from him and his experiences. Jason is a speaker, author, now movie maker and leadership consultant for his organization, LAT35. And before that, he was a division one baseball player whose career ended with an injury to his elbow. Much to his father's disappointment, he did not elect to have that surgery and get back into the sport, but decided to step away. Uh, realizing his heart wasn't in the sport, he stumbled into rowing, quickly falling in love with it and he pursued a trip to the Olympics, only to fall just short of making the American team. So then he got into rowing oceans, and after speaking with him, I can say he is an incredibly genuine person as well. Uh, and you are gonna love the next three episodes of the Coaching Culture Podcast as we go deep into Jason's story. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. If you are new, well, my name is J.P. Nurman, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. I'm the founder of TOC Culture Consulting, coaching and supporting coaches to become better leaders and build better cultures in a practical and simple way. Our podcast focuses on culture leadership, but I like to think we take an untraditional approach. We commonly dive into topics others ignore, and our guests are commonly people outside the traditional conversation around sports. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and subscribe to our newsletter at tocculture.com. Every week, Nate drops some wisdom as well as the notes to that week's episode of the pod. Now let's get into our conversation with Jason Caldwell. So Jason, I, I want to start with this question here today because I just completed my big ultra, which when I tell people I was going to run 120 miles, uh, in two days and under 40 hours, the first thing they go is why, why would you do something like that? And, you know, I was having breakfast with my wife and we had watched the documentary last night, which was my, uh, third time watching it. And she says, I still don't get it. Why do you guys want to do this? So I'm going to start with this question for you and for our listeners today, which is why would someone want to row across the ocean? Yeah, well, I'm familiar with that question for sure. I get that a lot. Uh, and they usually get it in two tones. One is the why, like why, like, because they're very interested. And the other one's like, why? It's almost like a disgusted why. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm taking it that you that your wife is is more and more actually interested in, in an answer. And, you know, I think 
That is a deeper question than it might seem on the surface. And I think my why has changed. Um, I think, you know, if we want to just give the, the, the elevator answer to that would be because it's there, uh, you know, because oceans are there and it seems like something we should cross just like, uh, you know, just like mountains to be climbed and all these kinds of things and the depth of the sea to be go as far as down as we can go. So I think it started off as being because it was there and because I was a rower. And I think if you get a little bit deeper into that, initially it was this idea of wanting to prove to myself and to be fair, everyone else that knew me, my peers, my family, that I wasn't just, I was capable of more than just silver medals, you know, from, from the dock, um, you know, I had a baseball career that didn't pan out. I had a, a, a rowing career that that I fell short out of the Olympics and all this kind of stuff. So you've got this, this, uh, you know, this, this kind of intrinsic motivation to prove to myself and to others that I was better than, as I called it, a wall full of silver medals. But if we were to take it one step further and a little deeper, I think my why has certainly changed now. And I've rowed across the Atlantic twice, the Pacific once, I've trekked across the oldest desert in the world and many other things as well. Now it just becomes this idea that at the end of all of these things, because I've given myself to these things, all of myself, I'm changed by them. Every time I do something, I'm a different person when I come out. People notice it. People that are close to me notice that I'm different. And some of the changes, you know, only last a little while, but other, other changes in me are permanent because of that experience with the environment and then with my teammates. And I like that, you know, I want to be changed when I'm done with these endeavors, these ocean rows. I want to be somebody different. I want to learn about myself when I'm out there, which of course you do. Sometimes I'm ashamed of what I find out, not happy with some of the things that that happen out there. And I, I'm desperate to change those on the next go around other things I am proud of. And I want to kind of I want to kind of bolster those up and I want to use those to my advantage and I want to pass those on to my teammates and and to my my kid. So I I like this idea of being changed. I don't know how I'm going to change, but I just know that when I get to the other end, I'm going to be different. And that's really kind of why. And that sounds a little philosophical and maybe people just want a clear answer. But I think the harder the thing is, the less clear the answer is. No, I love that. I resonate with a lot of that. You know, I think that that was oftentimes some of my similar answers to people is just growth and change is what I'm looking for. And I know through that shared suffering and, and that with others or suffering out there on the side of a mountain or for you in the middle of an ocean, that there is that experience of learning about yourself. And I think that's profound is learning some things that you you don't always maybe appreciate or, or aren't proud of within yourself. And I'm wondering too, like sometimes I think um, you, you're out there in the ocean. I'm sure there's a lot of time to reflect, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and so I want to reflect back on something you talked about earlier, which is this baseball career that didn't pan out. And um, a lot of our listeners are, are coaches and, and most of them would be also be parents as well. And part of your upbringing was you had a father that really stretched you and challenged you and pushed you in baseball. Like you expressed an early dream baseball and he was there to like really really push you along i'm curious you know as you've had time to reflect on that at this stage of your life and all those ocean voyages here you know what was that experience like you know give a little bit of context for, for the listeners possibly and then how has that affected you as a person and how has that shaped you as a leader today yeah that's a great question i think 
if I work backwards and reverse engineer this question a little bit, I think one of the things I want the doc to express, especially to, to younger people and to their parents is that, you know, your initial dreams, if they don't pan out, it's not, it's not the end of the world. And, and, you know, I grew up, my dad was a ball player, as I say in the doc, you know, kind of baseball was a soundtrack of my childhood. He was, my dad is a huge Giants fan and his by extension. So was I, he had season tickets to Candlestick Park. We'd go and I, and I loved every bit of it. Um, and then, you know, inevitably I'm going to become a baseball player. And, and, and so I think the wheels were set in motion, but when you're a kid, you don't really get to understand what the difference between like and love is you know and i and i've always said that i i thought i loved baseball but i loved my dad and he loved baseball and as a kid that can get it's hard to to you know it's easy to misinterpret that basically and just like it is when you think you're in love in high school and then you meet your future husband or wife and you go oh okay this is what love is okay i've, I've now fallen in love and now i know what it is but you don't have that context when you're younger and i think that's what it was and i'm not saying that um, the people and young kids that are pursuing their their passions at a young age is is the passion they should or should not be pursuing. I'm just saying it's not over if it doesn't pan out. And I thought it was, you know, I'm college and I get injured and I'm done playing baseball and 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 it's a void and I'm depressed, you know, it's a situational depression there. And um but I was plucked out of obscurity from the rowing coach at my school and, and then found out pretty quickly what, what love was. So um, I think rowing changed my life because it gave me all the things that I have today, but I think it wouldn't have given me as much if I didn't make that transition from baseball to rowing. And I think, um, you know, it's okay to love more than one thing. It's okay to love something just because somebody you love, loves it. Those are all, absolutely natural and and okay but when those things don't go the way because you can no longer you, your talent can't bring you any further than you are or there's injury or, or something it can you know or you have to move and they don't have that sport at the school you're going to be at or whatever it is i've heard all these things it's okay to pivot you know and and i think that's what i want people to know the message is as a kid it's okay to pivot it's okay to be curious about things that your family doesn't know about you know, I mean, my family didn't know about rowing at all. My mom missed like my first five regattas because she was used to going to a three hour baseball game that she could casually show up in the third inning. But uh, rowing races are six minutes long. So she like didn't even see me row my first. I mean, bless her. She tried to get there, but uh, she just didn't make it. And, you know, my dad had similar experiences. But for parents, I think one of the things that they look back, if I can speak for them, is they said it was an absolute joy being able to learn a new sport, watching their son kind of thrive in a new environment, not just the sport itself, but with new teammates. Baseball is a very different kind of camaraderie than rowing. Uh, rowing is so interdependent um, that it's absolutely, it's unsustainable to be able to um, have you know, big disconnections with your teammates and be successful. It just doesn't work. Whereas baseball, you can kind of get away with it. I was a pitcher. So as long as I could throw hard and throw the baseball past people, like I was going to have a little bit of a career, whether I got along with my teammates or not, it's not the same in rowing. So anyway, that's, that's kind of a little tangential, but I, I, I hope that message gets across. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the whole 
missing the regatta. My niece rode for Michigan State and I remember driving a couple hours and was late and missed the whole dang thing because it's so stinking <laughs> quick. And then we're like on the shoreline trying to like, wait, is that actually their team? Like, was we were so late, you know, like it was a disaster. So I, a I can, viewing I, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but hey, you know, I want to go into the row and stuff, but real quick on that baseball thing, I think that's a great. There's a great question there for us as coaches because oftentimes our players are in this crisis, you know, in high school and college and. And players are asking, you know, should I give this up? You know, I don't feel the love anymore. And, you know, as and obviously parents, our kids will go through that. Um, I, I went through that. I wanted to give it up in high school basketball and, and I thought I lost the love, but I didn't want to give up on the dream. I don't want to be that guy to give up on a dream. So just you mentioned in the doc, you said, I know when to give things up. Like you knew it was time to give up baseball. Just clear, how did you know that? Like, how was that clear for you? It, at the moment, it was a feeling of relief. I mean, I get injured and then and then I find out that I'm I'm not going to be able to play anymore. And all of a sudden, there's like almost a sense of relief. I maybe wasn't honest about that with everybody else at the time, but I felt this feeling. And that's how I knew. But today, if we're, if we're trying to give some tools to people, I think there is a there is such a thing as a healthy quit. And I think we're all, whenever we're making decisions to do something or something else, we're kind of in our head instinctually measuring two things and that those two things are suffering and sacrifice. How much am I willing to suffer for this thing if I keep it going to continue on? And that doesn't have to be physical suffering, although it is oftentimes, but there's also mental and emotional anguish. So how much am I willing to suffer? What's my threshold for suffering? And then sacrifice, what am I willing to give up, you know, to continue on this path, this dream, whatever it is. And I think we measure those two things really quickly when we make easy decisions, daily decisions, right? Do I want to go out for dinner tonight or do I want to stay home and cook? Well, if I stay home and cook, I save money, but then I have to do all the dishes and I'm already pretty tired. You know, you do these things quickly within seconds and you make your decision and then you decide and you go. But with big things like do I want to continue with my basketball career? Do I want to try to rehab my arm and, and continue, you know, get being a brace for a year and then have to rehab it afterwards to continue my dream of being a pitcher professionally? These we have to take a little bit of time. And I think those two things that we measure will help us either feel confident and continuing on or feel confident and stopping. And then I think those are that's where if you decide to stop, it's a healthy quit. And those thresholds adjust as our life adjusts, suffering thresholds adjust as we train and we get stronger or we start to do different things and um, or we become mentally and emotionally stronger and more mature. That threshold adjusts, sacrifice threshold adjusts as we have opportunity cost. You know, my my sacrifice threshold has adjusted greatly since I've been married now for almost seven years kid now three-year-old boy i mean good god i mean that's that's adjusting it greatly now what i'm giving up not just to make these crossings which are incredibly dangerous and away from home for long periods of time without any communication but all the training involved right the time that i would be spending with my family is now time that i'm spending in the pool or on the rowing machine or on the water whatever it is so i like those two things as a way to measure and i'll say one last thing is it's not enough to just 
know that those two things are what you're measuring, you must be very honest with yourself and know where those thresholds are. You know, a lot of we we're we're oftentimes not honest with ourselves and people say, oh, well, I'm willing to to, to sacrifice whatever. That's not true. I, I'm not willing to do that. People might think that I am because they see my ocean crossings. There are some things I'm not willing to sacrifice. And there's the suffering threshold. You know, there are some, there, there's a certain threshold of suffering that you are no longer willing to, to, to endure. And so it only works. That metrics only works if you're being very honest with yourself. And it gets, it's a great exercise in learning about yourself. And for coaches out there, you can start because you need to understand those thresholds for your own teammates. So you can give good sound advice. And that starts by being honest with them about yours, sharing your thresholds, giving a story or an example of how you've had to deal with those two variables in your life when making tough decisions will open up a great, I think, line of communication with your with your team about exploring their thresholds as well. I want to backtrack just for a second here as we start to kind of explore your transition to rowing and um, I read Barry Zito's book a while back curveball and you know, he's a Barry Bay, Bay area guy and yeah. kind of went through a similar journey of hard driving dad. Baseball was the, that was their life together. You know, he makes the major leagues. He's trying to win the Cy Young. He gets hurt and he kind of goes through this crisis of identity, like for the first time trying to figure out who am I? Is this my dream? Is it my dad's dream? Is it our dream? Is it always our dream? You know, when you gave up baseball, you you talked before about how that may have been a little bit more difficult for your dad than it was for you at the time. But in some ways, was there, you know, an identity crisis that maybe predisposed you to that weight room conversation when the rowing coach walked in looking for misfit toys to throw in his boat? Or how did you kind of handle that you know, that sense of identity through that transition? It's a great question, Nate. And I think there was an identity crisis with me, although I felt a relief that baseball was no longer going to be my future. You know, I needed it to be filled with something else. And I didn't know what that thing was. And that part was tough. And, and I always kind of say, like, I think for high performing individuals, losing isn't the worst thing in the world. In fact, I don't identify with people that say, oh, I, I'm just like you. I hate losing. I never lose or something like that. that I don't identify with that. I lose all the time. If you par participate in life, you're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot. Um, but it's not having that something greater, you know, and that's, I think, probably where the identity crisis comes from. Like, what's my something greater now? You know, it was always baseball. It was, you know, sorry to say it wasn't school. I liked school, but I didn't love school. You know, it, I didn't have dreams of, you know, a big professional career, you know, in Wall Street or something like that. So I didn't know what it was. And when I'm in the weight room, it's very apparent if I don't have anything to train because I like to train not to work out. And if I didn't have anything to train for, it was really, I really struggled. Like, why am I building this muscle? I'd even ask myself, like, what's the point of lifting this heavy weight right now? Why am I lifting it? I'd actually ask myself that stuff. And so, yeah, I did go to an ident through an identity crisis, probably just like Barry did. And, you know, for in a lot of reasons, that collegiate rowing coach, as I say, kind of plucked me out of obscurity. And essentially, I don't want to make, it's not like he saved my life, but in a lot of ways he did, not as dramatic, like I was going to die if I didn't have it, but he 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 saved my purpose. So I 100% I believe that. 
So I want to push on that a little bit too, because in the book you talk a little bit about you were resistant at first. You know, you you kind of went to the first meeting and then you peeled out, and then I think it was another teammate that you know came, maybe a injured soccer player, if I remember right, that kind of cornered you again to try to. Well, one he needed a ride to practice, right? But he was trying to get you on the team. But what was it that appealed, you know, in that state of mind where you were at about the challenge of of rowing? Yeah, it's um, it's exactly as you said. I, I got asked to by the rowing coach. I didn't even really know what rowing was. Like I really wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference between rowing and whitewater rafting. I, I didn't know what I was even agreeing to show up to. And I showed up to this tryout. I'm, and remember, I, I'm, I'm a senior at this point. So I show up to this tryout at a boat yard, you know, I'm picturing like, oh, and I Google searched rowing, by the way. And I saw Princeton's boathouse and I was like, oh, this is, this sounds nice well that's not what sonoma state had sonoma state had you know shipping containers and on on a muddy river um you know i showed up as hundreds of kids you know and, and that's what they were they were kids you know they were incoming freshmen mostly and you know every and, and basically it was it was the bad news bears you know it was just everybody who didn't have anywhere to be showed up that saturday thinking maybe rowing could be something they could be into and that was not what i was used to and I had a chip on my shoulder and I was egotistical. You know, I mean, imagine somebody like myself in their, you know, early to mid twenties showing up to something like that, where we're doing push-ups on our knees. And I got into a boat for, you know, just a few minutes. I left that, that tryout completely disgusted and quite frankly, disrespectful a little bit um, to the, to the coach that invited me thinking I'd never see the sport of rowing again. And it was that, that later on that day that, this guy that you alluded to, Mike, who's was is, was the best man in my wedding, and still my my best friend, you know, came up to he had he had saw me there, you know, and he said, you know, I'm thinking about giving it a try, a one week try, you know, you want to do it, but I, there was something different about this guy because he did come from a big sport. He 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 was like me. He he played soccer and then he blew out his knee. I mean, we had a lot in common. All of a sudden, I I we shared something, you know, and that was the big part. That was that was kind of the the kind of the catalytic moment for for me to actually try it is that I had this this guy coming up to me that I respected you know he looked like a an athlete he came from a background similar to me and so we did and then I fell in love with the teammates because hundreds of kids dropped you know it whittled down to like 40 <laughs> by the time it, practice started at 5 a.m and then it whittled down to, to 20 until we had our team but that that first week was a bunch of guys just like me and this common we shared something and all of a sudden i could see that this kid so i didn't fall in love with the sport of rowing i fell in love with the guys first to be fair and um it was that was the coach that did that you know mark neiman our coach there he said you know he he wasn't offering anything other than being part of something greater that's what he, he, and he, I didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly what I needed. He says, I'm, I'm not promising you're going to win a bunch of regattas. In fact, that school had never even won a race yet. Um, you know, he didn't promise anything other than I know where you're at in this moment in your life. You're rudderless, no pun intended. And I'm going to give you a rudder and I'm going to give you direction and I'm going to give you a North star to follow. And it's going to be through this sport called rowing. And you're going to meet new people who are just like you and who have hurt just like you and we're going to put you into secondhand boats but you're going to feel 
what it's like to align with people, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And then that's what I fell in love with. And that sounds cheesy, but it's absolutely 100% true. And that coach um, knew something, you know, that I think most coaches um, fail to align their teams on is that kind of emotional component. And he started with that, not the physical. He started with the emotional. And that was very, very, that was unique to me. Well, quick on that. How did he do that? How was he so effective at doing that? Because I mean, the sport itself is inherently different than mother team sports, right? It has something unique and not every rowing coach is good at that. How is, how is he good at that? Well, he's just in general, he just looks at the world differently. I mean, I just saw him last week actually. And, you know, he still surprised me by, I'll tell him something. He'll see it very different. He's a teacher. He's always been in, 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 in academia. Um, and he just looks at problems differently to solve them. So that's one thing. But I think, you know, the first thing he did, practically speaking, is he knew that on a campus, on a collegiate campus, even one that's relatively small like Sonoma State, all the talent he needed to win in rowing was already on that campus. He didn't need to recruit, you know. And he, by the way, he couldn't because he didn't have any money for recruiting. He had no scholarships for rowing. And so he went to every sports team, every coach from every other team, baseball, basketball, you know, uh, field hockey, uh, rugby, soccer. And he asked them all for a list of the guys that he cut or that got injured. And I was on one of those lists and he would go with those coaches. I think the coaches thought he was crazy, but would just say like, tell me about this guy. Like, why is, why did you cut him? And he was just basically looking for certain qualities. And I think what he was looking for was people that had their dreams kind of ripped from them. And that was, I, I was on that list and I made that list. And so when he bumped into me in the weight room, like he did not, that was not by accident. I didn't know that at the time, but he, he was looking for me. He found me at the weight room. Oh, that's that Jason Caldwell guy. And I'm going to go talk to him about it. So that's the first thing he did. Um, the second thing he did is he let the sport weed everybody else out. Rowing is difficult. You have to get up at ungodly hours. And for a college student, are you kidding me? Practice starting at five. Yeah, that's going to weed a lot of people out. So he knew. He he just let the sport do it. Practice is at five. It's really hard. It's cold and it's dark and it's difficult. And poof, just like that, everybody that wasn't supposed to be there just left on their own. He didn't cut a single person. In fact, Mark has never cut anybody on on any of the teams as he's coached. He just lets the work cut it for him. He lets the team cut it, cut them. So, and that's what happened. We we got whittled down to like a group of 20, and those are 20 people that were all committed to to Mark and to each other. I mean, that is that's some genius work right there. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just respect the hell out of him and um I learned from him constantly. Yeah, and, and we'll dive into it later, but you kind of use a similar tactic of finding guys that have had dreams ripped from them, you know, for your own boat selections later. I'm I'm curious, there's so many things that rowing has helped you grow in and change. But early on, that initial shift from a sport like baseball, which can be very individualized, to the sport of rowing, how did that change you as a person? Obviously, it gave you that North Star, started to give you a purpose greater than self. But but what was that change in you as a person that you know that you experienced and maybe other people started to observe within you? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, you know, 
I was I was a tough individual in 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 life just in that time. I was successful at baseball. I was a big and strong guy. You know, it I I kind of grew up thinking that I didn't need anybody else. Like I had whatever, you know, I had enough. I, I didn't need anybody else. And then I get kind of thrown into the sport of interdependency and I fought it. You know, I really I I, I went kicking and screaming. I, I love the sport the guys i love the beauty of the rowing motion but i really really struggled on the interdependency of the sport i mean we we all can make an argument for any sport that we're a part of that it's the ultimate team sport and and, I, and by the way like i've got nice little comments from the documentary that says oh try turning a double play and tell me it's not an ultimate team sport i'm like yeah I, i'm not saying that baseball is not a team sport i'm not saying any of these are not but if you take one person out of a rowing boat, not only does it not do well, it ceases to even row. You, you can't row it. That's how interdependent it is. And so that was a very, very difficult lesson for me to learn is that I had to give up this individual ego for this collective ego. And also when we crossed the finish line, and by the way, we went from a from a team that had never won a, a race in their life to winning, I think, seven that year. When you cross the finish line and you beat a team that you weren't even supposed to, to stick with, no one was going to come up to me and say, you did it. Look at you. You hit that buzzer shot. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. Everybody got congratulated. You were not going to get the spotlight. And that was tough for me, too. But that, that, trend, that change, although I'll admit, I went kicking and screaming down that road. Once I committed to that, it's it's so much more fulfilling. I mean, it was it was unbelievably fulfilling. Um, you know, that was the first thing, and and then then kind of going down the road as I get onto an elite team after that. I think the second thing was, and this gets a little bit deeper, is that you know at at Sonoma State I was, you know, one one of the two biggest guys on the team had a huge erg score, you know, on the rowing machine, rowing two thousand meters, and you know I was you know, amongst my teammates, I was seen uh, as, 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 you know, kind of an all-star. Then I get accepted to an elite training team on the East coast after that. And I am the shortest guy on the team at six, four. I'm the shortest. I am the lightest guy on the team by, you know, two dozen pounds. And I am the least experienced guy on the team. And all of a sudden now I've got a new lesson to learn. I've understood that there's interdependency and that we've got to, you know, but now it's like, there's no way I'm making this team. And so that's when I kind of started the journey of how do I leverage the strengths that I have? And we can get into that later. I can dive into that a little bit more, but I want to make sure that I'm answering your questions and not just going off on a tangent. All right, that's it for part one. And trust me, we are just getting started. And next episode, we'll learn about Jason's journey rowing for Vesper Rowing Club, one of the most elite rowing clubs in the world, as well as the story of his first Atlantic Ocean crossing. Just one note, on one of the reasons why we break up these interviews is because we want listeners to digest these interviews, not just consume them. Each part of the Caldwell interview is going to be a full five-course meal, lots to unpack. For me in this episode, what really hit home was really, you know, when to quit a sport, when is the right time for an athlete, and how important it is to explore other sports and activities. I think there's a lot of value for us as coaches as well as for our players in this conversation. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tocculture.com to get the notes to this episode.